So, good evening. Welcome, Brahma. Good to see you. So, gathered on the auspicious uh, eve of, well, the day, and now it's the evening, of the Avir Bhav Mahotsava, the festival commemorating the advent into the lives of the devotees in, in the form of Bhagavan Nara Hari, Nara Singha. Nara means man and Singha means lion. So that's a very interesting combination. Hmm. Um, it's, it's, of course, then you try to put that into uh, a iconography and art and so forth, and you have a man with a lion's head, something like that. <clears throat> Rather fantastic. Um, not something you'd expect to see uh, too often. Um, of course, the symbolism and all has very deep um, significance, meaning the the there's quite a bit of... Um, the sacred text dedicated to describing this avatar, his leela, the significance of that, and so forth. And in our uh, main book that we see as the central hub around which all the sacred texts of the East orbit and are understood in the context of Srimad Bhagavat, which of course is described as the mature contribution of Vyas, the editor and compiler, legendary editor and compiler of the of the uh, the Veda. <clears throat> so rightfully so, uh, <clears throat> it's kind of the new the New Testament, the Bhagavatam, to give a, a Western example of the Eastern revelation. Uh, it supersedes everything that came before it, and it is very much a doctrine of love as opposed to a doctrine of law. Hmm? And, uh, of course, within the doctrine of love that it advocates, there are two, uh, two expressions, basic expressions of that, uh, love, reverential love, and love in, uh, in intimacy. The former carries with it some idea of law. Hmm? The latter... Uh, law appears uh, much uh, well, it's conspicuous by its its absence as I've often said, where there are laws there is no love where there is love there are no laws Um, so while uh, Nisringadev is a face of of the uh, the Godhead and he does conjure up some reverential love, as we'll see as we go on with the with the story. Um, interestingly, he his story is told in the Bhagavatam over about ten chapters, beginning uh, in the uh, at the very beginning of the seventh chapter, and the context in which. 
the story comes up is also the context in which Raghunuga Bhakti is explained in Srimad Bhagavatam by Narada hmm, to, uh, to Yudhisthira. And Nishingadeva is, of course, in one sense, a face of Narayan, but in another sense, he's, he is the, is the face of Krishna, um, who we, we understand to be the source of Narayan, the fountainhead of all avatars. And what I mean by that is that if we study carefully the, the, the text, we find that Prahlad, who, whose love caused this particular manifestation of divinity, is repeatedly described throughout the chapters, the ten chapters or so of the Bhagavatam where this Leela is discussed directly. There are other chapters where it's discussed indirectly, and the prelude to it um, is, is, um, is developed. But uh, in those chapters where Prahlad is also described, where the Leela is played out, uh, repeatedly he's been described as a devotee of Krishna, that Krishna was his Ishtadevata, was the, the deity of his, of his heart, his Pranishwar, the Lord, uh, the controller of his heart. It's a, it's a, it's a literal translation of his life, his pran. So it's in a happy way. If we control by love, of course, this, this, that's desirable. I've often said that we can control people in different ways. We could control people physically. We can control people mentally. If we physically control, it's rather apparent that that's the case. Mentally, however, we could be controlled more comprehensively and not even realize that we're being controlled or psychologically manipulated and so forth. It's more insidious as it becomes more subtle and, um, and more powerful. The more powerful the control, in one sense, the less uh, it's apparent that that control is going on. If we move from the mental... Um, manipulation and, uh, uh, and whatnot that controls people at times to a love controlled, uh, physical controlled, or mental controlled, a love controlled, then it's even less apparent that one is controlled. And of course, that's a, it's a good thing because if you love someone, they tend to love you also. So Krishna, of course, is thought to control by affection, by love, and therefore he doesn't appear to be a controller. He's playing the flute. Indeed, he appears to be controlled. And he is. This is Krishna, who is conquered by bhakti, who is a plaything in the hands of bhakti. Thus, he becomes the friend, the lover, the child, and so forth, of his, of his devotee. So that's very beautiful kind of controlling that, that we want. But... But as I say, it's less apparent that Krishna is the controller. But if we look at it carefully, we see, oh, this is like I've said also before, if you want to play and Krishna's only playing, then you have to have power to play. You have to have money in the bank to take a vacation. You have to have some power. Krishna is depicted as only playing. The implication is all-powerful. And this is that he was the deity of Prahlad. Now, there are different manifestations of Krishna, of course, and Prahlad worshipped Krishna with some some reverence. There's a place for that. Um, But my point here is that he was a devotee of Krishna, and Krishna, therefore, 
manifest as Nisringadev. Therefore, Nisringadev, along with Ram, Ramchandra, and Krishna, are the three uh, appearances of uh, divinity in Vaishnavism that are what we call Sadaishvarya Purana. They manifest all six um, opulences, strength, fame, wealth, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation. These six were invoked by Parashara, one of these sages, assisting uh, Vyas in the compilation of the sacred texts. Uh, he invoked these six in his definition of Bhagavan, Bhagavan, who Vaughan possesses um, all six opulences, the things by which we find ourselves attracted to others. If they have wealth, we're attracted to them, or their beauty, fame, um, knowledge, renunciation. And you can think about uh, different persons. And if you hear about a famous person, you have some attraction for them. What are they about? What would it be like to talk to that person? And uh, just because they're famous. Hmm? Or because they're, they're, they're wealthy, they may be famous because they're wealthy, or they're, they're beautiful like some uh, celebrity or, or something like that. There's, uh, these things naturally attract us. And we should try to understand also that as we feel in ourselves a natural attraction for these opulences, wherever they're manifest, there will come a time in our bhakti where we actually feel the same kind of natural attraction that doesn't have any, it just happens, it's just natural for Krishna. So you, you can think where you are on the, on the ladder of, of, of bhakti. You, Krishna, there's no one more famous than Krishna, more beautiful than Krishna. The beauty of Krishna is described in so many ways. Great effort is taken by Vyasa, Sukadeva, and Bhagavatam to describe the the, uh, the beauty of Krishna. And uh, sometimes we read over that it's, we, 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 it's, it's missed what's being said. They're trying to, like, these are people who are actually experiencing Krishna. The classic example, perhaps the best, of course, is the gopis who condemned Brahma, who created... Uh, the biological bodies, so to speak, and with that, eyes that blinked. And on account of the blinking, they could not see Krishna first, but second. And we don't even think about our blinking. Uh, uh, but they thought about it. So what were they seeking? That for, for that kind of a split second, they, they took notice of the fact that they weren't seeing how attractive he was. So uh, the, the Bhagavad is relating the experiences of great devotees who have perfected themselves who are the, or, the, or are the perfected entourage of Krishna, the love that corresponds with the object of love that he is and so forth. And if you play out the explanations there, it's not something to gloss over. You're supposed to think, wow, this is what they're saying here. This is what... And, I find myself attracted to a famous person, to a to a beautiful person, to a wealthy person, to a renounced person. Look at the renunciation we find in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who was who was um, uh, Krishna himself. We discussed it a little bit the other day. It's it's it's, it's attractive and it's it's comp- comprehensive. His his renunciation frightened the older sannyasis and advaitins and others who are. Part of their path, so to speak, renunciation. So, 
to feel as we do when we hear, just you know, pick up, you know, you hear somebody everybody knows about and they've said something and you find interest in finding out their, their position on it and so forth. Um, I'll give you an example. Well, you know what I'm talking about. But I'll give you an example. The other day I heard that, that um, Bill Gates, who's famous, a wealthy person, had a position on, on um, GMOs, genetically modified Oh, GMO? Organisms, I guess, yeah. And I thought, well, what, you know, what's his one? I mean, it could be anybody had a position on GMO, but what's his position? Because he's famous and wealthy and so forth. So I found this natural attraction. What does he have to say about it? Hmm? So my point here is, as we have these natural kind of unthought, non-calculative a non-calculative draw towards expressions of fame, uh, manifestations of beauty, knowledge, and so forth in the world. Hmm? As we get it right through sadhana hmm? and actually approach um, what 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 the two syllables Krishna is all about, we'll find that uh, that kind of natural draw towards him, just like we do towards what other people who manifest in a, in a minute degree, hmm? some measure of these opulences. So it's all six opulences in full in him, and we find them in Ramchandra and in Narasimha, whose day and appearance we're celebrating today. So that's very extraordinary. Hmm? And uh, it has something to do with the fact, as I say, that Prahlad was a devotee of Krishna, and the Sringa is a face of Krishna who appears for Prahlad for his, the purposes of his, his, his devotee's necessity. Hmm? And, um, and then kind of retires, if you will, in, in, in an appropriate place in Vaikuntha, where he'll be worshipped uh, rever- reverentially as a face of, of Narayan. Of course, Narayan is also a face of Krishna, but... Uh, um, Unlike, my point is, all other avatars that Krishna manifests as, as, as Narayan and then Mahavishnu and the avatar, Lila avatars are coming through him and so forth. In one sense, they do have their origins in Narayan, but Narayan has his origin in Krishna. But here, as a unique position of um, Narasimhadev. Hmm? And uh, he is also... Um, as an aside, he is the deity that presides over Vatsalya Rasa. Hmm? And there's no Vatsalya Rasa in Vaikuntha. Hmm? He, uh, this is parental love. Hmm? Um, but he pres- he's the deity that Rupa Goswami has described as presiding over that. And this is all in relation to Prahlad, where Krishna is Rasa and Rasika. So he also tastes Rasa. In this case, he's tasting Rasa in relation to Prahlad, who becomes his, like his son, sits on his lap, uh, sort of when the Leela ends, and uh, and uh, the trouble, the difficulty that he, he Prahlad faced is, 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 is dealt with. So uh, he's anyway a very special avatar. I think it makes a, uh, a prominent number of appearances in the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela, hmm? Um, I've given a lecture one year on all the different ways in which 
Nishingadeva appeared and, and participated in the Gaur Leela. For your reference, we won't go through them all again uh, tonight. But suffice to say, for Gaudiya Vaishnavas, he's a very special person. I'm, I'm, I'm saying references in the Gaur Leela in its, in its uh, time proper, I want to say when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was present, and then in the extended Leela of that, of course, it, he appeared in ISKCON, <laughs> in Prabhupada's uh, life in a, in a prominent way and became a prominent feature of of uh, uh, divinity that was venerated in is venerated in all of his temples and we have the deity of Nishinga here also hmm? in the Shila form hmm? so he's uh, prominent in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism he's thought to be the Bhakti Vignaminasana the protector of, of devotion hmm? and certainly he protected uh, Prahlad so, um, a very important uh, figure, and um, Prahlad is again the, 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 the personification of the love that corresponds with that particular face and in a particular circumstances that caused him to appear like that. We'll, we'll go through that as we discuss the Leela. But, um, but Prahlad, Prahlad, Prahlad means, well, pra, the prefix, means. Uh, a number of things. It means complete. It means uh, extraordinary. Uh, but it also means before or prior, or in that sense, first. And aladha means delight. It comes from the same haladini, shakti. That bhakti is is uh, very much um, in part constituted of. It's the important, most important part, if you will, of the bhakti that Radha presides over. She is the deity presiding over the um, shakti tattva in general, within the context of that, the sarup shakti in general, and then within the sarup shakti presiding over the ananda or ladini element. There's three elements that this, that this, when I say internal primal shakti of Bhagavan that, that, that presides over and uh, organizes the Leela. Um, um, sandini, Sambit, Ladini. It means a special kind of Sat, Sandini, special kind of extraordinary existence, and uh, Chit, or here Sambit, extraordinary type of uh, cognition, and extraordinary type of Ananda, they call Ladini. She presides over the Ladini. Hmm? Um, Special existence, of course, the Brajalila in particular is very special, and and uh, these things reach their zenith in the, in the in the in these expressions of bhakti in the love and intimacy, where the sambit, the knowing, is a kind of unknown, un, unknowing, knowing, and uh, the ladini conquers over Krishna in a way that Narayan is not conquered over by the same ladini, lesser manifestation, in the realms of love and in awe and reverence. So, at any rate, Prahlad means kind of, in one sense, very special and comprehensive and full bliss. Hmm? But it also means like prior bliss or first bliss, like newborn delight, something like that. And, of course, Prahlad is depicted as just a child hmm? in the Leela. And... Um, 
the implication of that, of course, is that uh, that, and he very much speaks about the importance of human life and how it should be used uh, appropriately from its inception. Komara Macharid Pragnam Dharmam Bhagavatam, you know, one of his famous statements to the other classmates of his. When the teachers were out of the room, he would speak on bhakti to them, although the teachers were speaking about Prabhati um, Marg, um, um, the, the path of acquisition, and so forth. Um, so, he very much exemplifies the idea that human life is very special and in every moment of it, therefore, should be used very wisely, even even in childhood, if at all possible. That time should be... Um, um, harnessed, if you will. The youthfulness should be harnessed and, and that will be very valuable for us. So he, he did that. And, and so he... He speaks in a way his person, his name, of to us um, as to the fact that that human life hmm, has the opportunity the, the, for the beginning, or it's what comes prior to to bliss, to ananda, in that in the less complex forms of life, the self consciousness is not has not risen to the fore to the extent that it does in human life. Consciousness, as I many times have explained, of course, uh, is not uh, reducible to matter. It's not a product of matter. Um, It's an independent, ontologically independent um, reality, subjective reality as opposed to the objective reality. At the same time, excuse me, that's true, Matter, in a sense, shapes consciousness also. In other words, the shape that consciousness is appearing in um, determines the extent to which it will be expressed. Just like the the shape of the car that you're in determines how fast you'll go. If you're in a race car, well, you're going to go at one speed. If you're in a a Volkswagen, you're going to go at another speed. Hmm? The speed, uh, it's the same thing, you're pressing on the gas. (laughs) Same thing. Person decides pressing on the gas, but one has is limits one's ability to to speed, and other facilitates that much more. So human life facilitates and shapes, gives a shape to consciousness, a shape that such a shape that it, it can it can come out, so to speak, and know itself. Hmm? It becomes aware of itself. That's why I say sometimes that nature, human life, is the time in which. Uh, nature wakes up to the fact that it has a soul hmm? that's animating it and giving it meaning and so forth. And that's us. Hmm? So we're important in that sense. We're If there's anything in the world that most resembles God, it's us. Hmm? That's one side of the equation. Um, so human life is a great opportunity and it's the opportunity to taste bliss. And not only... Not only the bliss that we are constituted of, the ananda that we are constituted of, this is kind of the purpose of our life. We exist. We it, it, we are a unit of sat, chit, and ananda, so when it starts to come to the fore in human life, then we are aware that we exist. In less complex forms of life, there's some awareness of existence, not enough to philosophize about it and, and, and think maybe we don't exist, or 
or any kind of bad reasoning like that, or uh, or to study the revelation and so forth. That's all about the nature of being, existence, its purpose, and so forth. But we come in human life um, to the point of being aware that we we're, we're cognizant of the fact that we exist. We're not cognizant of the extent to which we exist, and therefore we fear, and we make strategies to preserve our existence, identifying our existence with the biological and psychological dimensions of, of, of our experience rather than with ourself. Uh, we also are purpose-driven. Hmm? And so um, the, the Godi perspective, of course, is that we exist and we, can, we are a knowing existence and we have a purpose, which is to love, which is like a no-purpose purpose. Love knows no reason, but it's the most reasonable thing to do, nonetheless, because it affords us experience that reason reason doesn't, satisfies us. So we are purpose-driven beings, and it's it's interesting to see how persons in in a modern society today, they uh, some class of persons philosophize on the basis of some incomplete empiric evidence, they, they make a rational conjecture um, and come up with the idea that there is no purpose to life. There is, it's only atoms bumping into one another and so forth. But they're very driven to make this point <laughs> that there's, there's, they kind of have a, another other end of the spectrum, no purpose, purpose. They're very purposeful and they're very concerned that people understand that there's no meaning to life, uh, ultimately. And then, but it's okay to make meaning within that, and so on and so forth. So, well, my point here is, it's hard to get away from the the fact that that human life gives us a sense that 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 existence has a meaning. Hmm? There's a meaning to it. Meaning, value. These are all things that are relative to consciousness. Hmm? And so we say that really we are in pursuit of the ananda uh, that we are. Hmm? However, um, and more, we're in pursuit of the ananda that we are as a unit of of bliss, a unit of love, hmm? and all that we could be. Let's say, for example, a young man in the world has a capacity to love. Hmm? But until he meets a young girl who, and struck by, by Cupid's arrows, hmm, he cannot actualize his loving potential to the full measure. Hmm? And when he does meet that significant other, he feels bigger and better and more complete He's the same person, but this subjective exchange of love, hmm? it's a subjective, therefore it's hard to quantify it. But still, we we can quantify it in this way. If there's another with whom to, in relation to whom we can express our loving capacity, well, we've got a recipe for more love than if we're um, alone. I'm just using a material example, of course. Um, so this is what I was saying the other day between indeterminate bliss and determinate bliss. Bliss without qualities, without another, and so forth, and bliss 
with qualities and variety and, and, and a significant consciousness other and so forth. Hmm. That's the tat that we, you know, tatwam, that you are. Hmm. That you are related to. You have the capacity, I should say, to be related to if that significant other makes a gesture, yeah, sends us a love letter. This is what the Gita is, of course. That's what the texts are. Human life is the big question. Why? And the Shastra is the answer. Hmm? From the other side. Hmm. Sri used to say that the scriptures begin with Om. It's a big affirmation. What's the question? You are the question. Human life is the, is the questioning. It's consciousness speaking. In other words, in less complex forms of life, consciousness isn't asking the questions. The material conditioning matters asking the questions. How to eat, how to sleep, how to mate, and, and, and nature answers those questions. But nature can't answer the question, answer the question why? Hmm? She doesn't know why. <laughs> hmm? uh, she has some movement. She's causal to some extent, having been turned on, so to speak, hmm? by, by, by God and by consciousness. And that, to that extent, she pushes us directly or indirectly in the direction of, of, of the father who can tell us, hmm? or she being the mother. Hmm? Here I'm making the point we have two sides to us. Right? We have the, the consciousness that we are that's coming to the fore in human life and what possibility that makes us feel. What, what, wow, we have great potential hmm? on the one side. And Perlad represents that. The other side of it, of course, is 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 that um, we we this, this, the human side of us is our uh, tie to animality in the less complex forms of life, and as much as this is facilitating, as I'm speaking, of realizing our potential, it's also getting in the way. Hmm? Human life facilitates, and and. At the same time, with its draw upon us, the call of the wild, so to speak, drawing on our senses and our minds, it inhibits us, it obstructs us from, our, from any practice and culture of our spiritual potential. So the idea, as very beautifully played out in the Leela of Prahlad Nisringa, of course, uh, the father of Prahlad is Hiranyakashipu. He fully represents the animal side. Um, he's called a daitya. Daitya means a, a demon. Hmm? And Prahlad is described in the Gita. How? Prahlado chasmi, Prahlado chasmi daityanam, Krishna says in the 10th chapter, of the, di- of the demons, I'm Prahlad. Hmm? So he, it's a, it's a very uh, um, instructive to us. Hmm? It's the uh, Leela saying to us, like I say, we have this human body. It can facil- we can make or it can mar us. Hmm? It can be uh, engineered and uh, and harnessed in such a way as to facilitate our spiritual growth, or it can be abused, and we can go from probation back into jail. Hmm? Human life is like. You're on probation now. You're free. You can make choices. If I'm driven only and, and overwhelmingly by the need to eat and sleep and 
and uh, you know, in, in the ba- basic needs. I don't have time to think about higher things and really much opportunity to make any do anything voluntarily. I'm driven by. I, I've often said if you call your, you know, if you have a pair of dogs and you call them for dinner, they're never going to say, well, you go first, Fido. Or uh, they're, just, they're driven by that. Uh, in the less complex of life, consciousness is not coming out as much due to the vehicle. Hmm? So, uh, so anyway, we have these, these two sides, and the two sides are very much uh, brought out in the Leela. The father is said to be born again as the son, though. Prahlad is the son of Hiranyakasipu, and uh, there's no bigger uh, bigger demon, so to speak. Hmm? And uh, his name, of course, Hiranya means gold, and Kasipu means like uh, it means clothes or it means soft cushion. Hmm? So shiny clothes or a soft bed is a way of saying, in a, in a, in a couple of words, materialism. Hmm? Atmendriya Pritibancha is uh, Atmendriya Pritibancha hmm? Taribale Nam Krishnendriya Priti Icha hmm? Tari uh, uh, Prem Tari Prem Nam hmm? These are two things that are very similar but very different. They're different as 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 Noon and the night of the dark moon. Hmm? What are the two? Atmendriya priti vancha. The desire to priti means love. Vancha means desire. The desire for love of here it means senses. Hmm? Atmendriya. Hmm? Here atmendriya means senses. Kamendriya. Same idea. And Krishnendriya. Indriya means senses. So the Atma has senses in this world and a mind. And the, if, it's, if it has a desire to, to love the pursuit of the senses and the mind, that is one thing. We call it, he says, Krishna Das Kaviraj, Kam. Tarnam Kam. It means lust. Lust for... It's the fire. It, 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 it gives the connotation of a fire that just won't go out. Hmm? Burning, and you have to feed it. And the more you feed it, the more it wants, and, uh, and, and so forth. It's just so, you, I mean, you have to look at these things. This is very practical. You have to really look at this and see. When you think, if I just had that, and when you get that, then you think, just a couple more things. And those, all those, your income comes up, your standard of living goes up. Hmm? And your need for income goes up. Hmm? So to, to be, the sadhaka should have, who, who's living, for example, as a householder life, should have some standard of living that makes sense, but they should not get caught in this, this kind of trap. Hmm? Prahlada's teaching, start from a very early age here. Hmm? And so at least by the time you're at the end, you're, you're, toning, you're, you're not looking for your third wife or something like that. You're, 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 the whole thing is becoming simplified and uh, and what's important is being focused on and so forth. Hmm. So one, on the one side anyway is Atmendriya and the other side Krishnendriya. So Krishna has senses too. Rishikena Rishikesha Sevanam Bhakti Ruchate. 
um, Narada defined bhakti in relation to the fact that Krishna has senses. And he's the master of the senses. And so if we use our senses in the service of Krishna's senses, then this dharanam prem, this is called prem, they look similar. In other words, you could be doing something to fulfill the the the, the um, sense desire. You could be doing the exact same thing to uh, satisfy the senses of Krishna. So on his face, therefore, Vaishnavera Kriyamudu Bhignina Bhujai. Very difficult to understand the Vaishnav. He might be working in the world, doing ordinary things, but the motive behind it is entirely different. And how to trace that out? Hmm? Not always, not, not, not very easy. Bhakti is very much a, a stepping back from the world enough to see it for what it is. That's the measure of its renunciation, that we might enter into it. Hmm? in a very different, from a very different perspective. Hmm? Um, employing everything, for example, in the service of Krishna, for the pleasure of Krishna's senses. So there's a difference between night and day here, and, and Prahlad exemplifies the desire to please the senses of Krishna, of course, and Hiranyakasipu is on the other side, the desire to please his senses. He's named Hiranyakasipu. He's a big materialist. He's a sense, sense enjoyer. Hmm? And, the, and of course, the, there's a problem with uh, with sense enjoyment in and of itself. It's an impediment, and it, it it can also, when it comes when when the strong desire for sense indulgence comes in touch with bhakti, then if it's too strong, it can uh, further impair us, hamper us in our progress because. Suddenly, now sense desire turns into aparad. Aparad means to go against aradhanam, against worship. Hmm? And we find this in Hiranyakasipu also. Hmm? He, of course, had a brother. His brother was named Hiranyaksha, means golden eyes. He had a gold in his eyes. It was also another way of saying materialism. He had gold in his eyes. He, that's what he was looking for. Hmm? Where is the money? Something like that. And so uh, his brother was killed by the Varaha avatar, so he was upset. Hmm? And, um, and he made a vow to, then, uh, to, to, to kill Vishnu. And of course, how can you kill Vishnu? Well, he was a very intelligent fellow. So he began to stop and uh, all sacrifice, decimate, uh, or decimate? Um, Desecrate, excuse me, desecrate, sacred, desacratize, <laughs> desecrate sacred places of worship and stop the Brahmins from worshiping and became an enemy of the devotees. He was intelligent because he thought, as I've said many times, people may not believe in God, but it's hard not to believe in love of God and how we speak about it when it's, when it's manifest. Hmm? Something's going on there that enables one to turn their back entirely on the world and be happier for it and and so forth. And so he went after love of God in all of its forms. He thought, this is why I'll uproot God, because if there's no love of God, there's no God. Very intelligent fellow. <laughs> of course, you can't do away with love of God. That's the other thing. Hmm? One time I was walking with Prabhupada, and just reminded of this, and uh, he used to ask me sometimes when we would walk together, he said, so 
uh, what are they saying? Because I was always in touch with the people, hmm? the, the common people, and talking to them about Krishna consciousness. And so um, he would ask me, what are they saying? So uh, one time I told him, so, well, they say that we're parasites, Prabhupada, because we don't have jobs, and we're out begging uh, for alms and selling books and so forth to people. And then he said, then stop giving, he said, very very powerfully. It was like, so then stop giving. And then he said, but you can't. Hmm? Then he chuckled and he just walked on. What, what he meant by it was, well, you know, you think, they think that, that they are sustaining us, that our sustenance is dependent upon them. Hmm? But it's not. So then don't, don't, then don't give. But you can't because it's, it's, they're giving because Bhagwan is protecting us. They're agents only through whom we're getting our maintenance, but we're living our lives only for Krishna and it's going to come from one source or another. He's behind that and, and so forth. It's his way of saying we're not parasites, indeed. Um, uh, God is taking care of us. And we're offering, and, and everyone for that matter, and we're offering you the knowledge of that in, in a particular form. Hmm? So he couldn't really stop bhakti, but this was his, his thinking. He would stop bhakti. So he became, in the context of the leela, an aparadi, a person who's going against worship. This is, like I said the other night, biting the hand that feeds you, very detrimental. We have impediments to our bhakti that, uh, that constitute desires that are based on impressions and habitual habits that impressions go into the chitta and they're stored there and they tend to dictate our, our actions and our booty becomes clouded, hmm? and um, and it and it serves to then facilitate that rather than it, then appropriately dis- distinguish and uh, as to what should be done and what shouldn't be done. There's a the whole problem, of course, of material existence begins with the, with the booty making making judgments over things that. Uh, it doesn't have jurisdiction over. That's what they. That's what they really meant when they say one shouldn't be judgmental. It's certainly been a term that's been distorted over time to mean ridiculous things. But it's it kind of comes from the Buddhist sector, not to make a judgment whether well to put it in the Gita kind of context whether something is good or bad or hot or it just is. So when the booty starts to make that distinction, then there's the duality of material existence and, and so forth. So to purify the booty, this is this is, uh, uh, and then and let the, have the, the self, the, the manas, will, when it manages the uh, th- thoughts and so forth, that, that, and inputs that come in from the senses manage that. This is all in such a way that the ahankar, the fourth element of the antaranga, uh, the internal organ is, is dismantled. The identity of I am, I am, but I am not this. When I say I am this or I am that, that becomes a problem. What I am, that's not a problem. Of course, that I am a servant of Krishna, that's another thing. That takes it full circle to the other side. Hmm. But that's not, that's something that requires Grace, bhakti, Krishna sending us an invitation, so to speak. And Prahlad got that invitation, of course. Hmm? Prahlad got the invitation from Narada. He got a guru in the form of Narada while he was in the womb. Hmm? And because he got the, the guru, he got God. 
परमानंदपुरमिथे कौन बागेवान जीव गुरु कृष्ण प्रसारे भाए भक्ति लत बीज कृष्णस कविराज गोस्वामी सेज इट लाइक दिस द जीव इज वांडरिंग थ्रूआउट द द ब्रह्मांड ब्रह्मांड इज अ नेम फॉर द यूनिवर्स द अंडर ऑफ ब्रह्मा लाइक द ब्रह्मा एग एज हिरण्यगर्भ इज लाइक द बॉडी ऑफ ब्रह्मा आल्सो इट्स अ वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग कांसेप्ट बट वी आर वांडरिंग इन दैट बॉडी एंड एंड एमलेसली if some des- desire to comes within us to meet our maker as it did in him uh, naturally um get god's favor uh, by the grace of god then in the heart we get the guru by the grace of guru then we get god then we can proceed towards god in a systematic way and chart the course and and uh, with with good um with good guidance mm-hmm. so prahlad got a guru Nard when he was in the womb hmm? Nard preached the Bhagavatam to his mother but he had in his heart the will for the for the it's one thing we when we speak the teaching and we try to arrange it in a logical fashion and so forth that's one side of the presentation the other side of course is the heart of the speaker This is a nice statement that begins the 10th canto. Hmm? Sukadeva is going to speak about Krishna Leela and Prikshit Maharaj, the, the emperor who's hearing from him on the bank of the Ganges at the time of his death, glorifies him because you're such a qualified speaker. Now he's going to speak about Krishna Leela, which appears very sensual and uh, ordinary. <laughs> You're very qualified to speak because of the condition of your of your heart. He was naked, of course, as a 16-year-old, which said to everybody, "This guy's got no desires. Hmm. Uh, even clothes are not of concern for him." Such a, and this person, what will he speak about? He talked about the clothes of the gopis, <laughs> the love of Krishna and the gopis. What what is that then? Hmm. So, uh, so the, the condition of the heart. Sukadev says, "I'm very happy to hear this all from you." because your heart is pure and therefore uh, it's not just words hmm? years ago in the 1920s bhakti siddhant sarasvati thakur formed a mission prabhupada's guru and he tried to be very innovative and up, up, make up to date presentations to the public in consideration of modernity and so forth and the british their occupation of england how they thought about things so one of the things he did was he made these dioramas that depicted different philosophical points hmm it's like making a multimedia kind of what do they call that powerpoint you know type presentation in today's world this was in the 20s and so he made one uh diorama of a man speaking the bhagavatam and there was a thin curtain behind him that he could just see through hmm kind of and behind the curtain was man's wife and and children and their eating something like that so what he meant to say by that is that some people speak the bhagavatam just to put food on the table hmm but the bhagavatam says and clothe their family and themselves and so on and so forth that's their only that's what their motive is in speaking the bhagavatam hmm? when the bhagavatam says are there no torn clothes lying on the side of the road hmm? 
Are there no caves to live in? Do the rivers, have they dried up? Do the trees not give any fruits anymore? This this series of questions like this is very powerful. Sutta Goswami speaking. It's very compelling. You should read this at home tonight and read the section. Very compelling. Why then should one flatter um, materialistic uh, persons for one's well-being. Hmm? I had an experience the other day. The fellow told me that he was thinking, I heard that he was thinking of joining our mission, but the, uh, the other persons in the other mission said, well, he's not a bad guy. He's pretty nice, but it probably won't be a sustainable situation. Hmm? Because the other mission was bigger, had more temples and and more more people and things to do, and looked like it was going to be around for a while. Hmm? And it had this central body that organized everything supposedly very nicely and managed everything, and so forth. So it had stability and Tripura Marsh maybe 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 interesting and, and 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 spiritually vital and so forth. But you know, when he goes, what will be left? Hmm? It's a whole complex <laughs> argument with, between myself and some of my other, other disciples of Prabhupada. <laughs> but um, basically, basically the argument was that, you know, if you leave here, then who knows? Well, you, here you've got food, you've got shelter, you've got camaraderie and, and so forth. And so when I heard about the story, I said, when, when I joined Prabhupada's mission, we didn't know where we were going to get our next meal. We ate on wax paper plates. They put oatmeal on that melted on the tile floor in Los Angeles before you could you know, finish, the, finish the oatmeal. We were basically eating off the floor. Uh, we couldn't afford anything but like a sheet of wax paper. You put on it, put the hot oatmeal on it, it would melt. And, and we didn't know where, when the, how the, the mortgage was going to be paid or in some of the temples at the time, the rent and so forth. When I uh, I was living in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and um, when I joined the mission, I joined some other fellows that were traveling, and um, they went to Santa Cruz there, and they tried to open a little center, and we would go out and beg hmm, fruits and flowers for the deities and other things, and we ate. In, in those, that was before I went to Los Angeles, where we had the you know the opulence for the wax paper plates and so forth. So we would basically we ate apples, hmm? was what I recall for the most part. <laughs> it's what we could get, and then on, we saved up on Sunday. We made this feast for Krishna, hmm? and of course we ate the remnants and so so on. So that, I mean, my point is there was no calculation of what my future will be. What, how is this going to work in the long term? Is this sustainable? We were being sustained by the spiritual persona of Prabhupada and what that made us feel like, what our potential was. In the presence of our guru, we should feel that we have great potential. And we should also feel the other side. But we're so <laughs> limited at the moment. Uh, this, this is, these two contradictory feelings. He should make us feel the nature of our conditioning, the measure of it, which will sober us up. And at the same time, encourage us by some feeling of that we have a great prospect here. And that's the larger side of it. 
And the great prospect in connection with such a sadhu gives us the power to overcome our material conditioning, our limitations, our situation. So we should, this, this is not the um, spiritual kind of outlook. Hmm? Um, no. Hmm. I had another, another example. I, I was in, in Prabhupada's uh, formal mission in ISKCON after he left, and I, I got inspired by Pujapad uh, Sridhar Maharaj, and it wasn't that wasn't something you, you could, that you could do in a society. So I decided, well, I'm, I'm going to follow my spiritual inspiration. Of course, Prabhupada had opened the door for us to hear from Sridhar Maharaj. And the fellow told me the night I was leaving, he said, you know, you have an, an excellent reputation in a mission here. And um, once you step out the door, that's, that's it, 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 you're done. You know, you have the worst reputation this is how they thought. And, and, and he's very old, and he's sick, and he could die. Any, you know, any, he's in his late 80s, you know, and he's been sick for, for a decade or more. So he could die at any time. Then where you'll be? You will have gone there. You had lost your position here, and he may die. I said, I'm out of here. <laughs> I said, thanks. For, that's why I'm leaving. This kind of thinking pervades the sect. I, I'm not, I didn't join for that. Whether he dies, and I'm on my way on the plane over there and find out he passed from the world on my way over. I'm better off. I'm that much further down the, the path which requires us taking a leap, hmm? making a, a throw, hurtling, hurling ourselves into the, the invisible. It sounds good, but looks like I've got something tangible over here. Pujapachita Marsh used to say, first it looks like all risk and nothing will be gained. But then we may think, I'll risk everything and perhaps nothing will be gained. It's just a theory. Hmm? Is there any solid ground on the other side? Hmm? So we may hesitate. Then we may think, well, nothing risked. Then there'll be nothing gained. I might as well try. And as we do and try and find the ground there, what kind of ground we will find? He said that we will think. The fact is, was nothing risked, all gained. Hmm? The ground that I stood on was crumbling as I stood on it. I was standing on an earthquake and I didn't even realize it. (laughs) And thinking, I'm on firm ground. Why should I leap? Leap. And leap now. Nard said it. Better to leap now and fall on the way and break a leg on the way. When you get up, you're that much further along. Hmm? And carry on. We need to develop a sangskar for risk-taking. Hmm? For following the... Following the look, look at the, the, the Brajsundaris, the gopis. They heard the flute of Krishna in the night on the full moon. They had so many reasons not to go. And they were all in their individual homes, taking care of babies and boiling milk on the stove and household duties and so forth. They heard the flute. They heard their own name. They got diksha in the context of the leela. To the flute. That flute sound is this, the diksha. Initiation. And they, so they went. They dropped everything without a thought and they went. And they didn't wait and say, 
Did you hear that? Are you going? What do you think? You know, I'll go if you go. Nothing like that. No. They heard, they went. This is what we have to cultivate. And as we progress in spiritual life, there will always be these challenges that come where it looks like, I'm okay here, but I don't know if I should go to the next level. Uh, it's a little risky. So you have to develop the tendency to take that risk, and we'll find. The more we do, the more we'll find. Nothing risked, all, no risk, all gain. The ground there is, is firm and moving, but in a very beautiful way. It's firm ground, but firm ground, what do you want to do, just stand on it? It's so firm you can dance on it. Hmm? This is the idea of Leela. So, so, this opportunity comes to us. Krishna presents the opportunity. This is what bhakti is. And, Bhogaishvaya prasaktanantaya prahita chetasam. Vevasyatmikabudir samadho na. Samadho na bidhiyate. Too much attracted to Bhoganaishwarya, to materialism. What to speak of making offenses to bhakti? Samadhi na. Hmm? You will not get samadhi. Hmm? You will not enter into that 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 that, 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 that land of no return. Hmm? So Hiranyakasipu he personified this materialism, and he became offensive to the devotees. He tried to stop worship of Vishnu, thinking that would do away with Vishnu. Hmm? Of course, this is all drama. Hmm? That's another thing. Therefore, this whole Leela of Nishingadev has its beginnings in Bhakunta and in the heart's desire of Narayan for Rasa. He wanted to taste Vira Rasa. Vira Rasa is a, is a secondary um, Rasa. There are 12 of them, seven of them, and five primary. Um, they're really like some cherry bobs, but, um, but because they have the power for some time to be dominant and cause the otherwise dominant emotion like a friendship uh, or uh, parental love to recede to the background and take precedence, they're also classified a, a, amongst the stais, the dominant emotions, hmm, that give rise to rasa, the full expression of ananda. Hmm? So, Anyway, Narayan wanted to taste Bira Rasa. This came in his heart. Hmm? He, 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 to, to play. Bira Rasa means there's four types of this. Dhanavir, Dayavir, Dharmavir, Yudhavir. So in Vaikuntha, uh, you don't find these. Uh, the, the, this, uh, like, uh, Dharmavir. Hmm? Dharmavir means the heroic establishing of Dharma. You can find Yudavir in Golok, in Krishna's Leela. That a Yudavir means like mock fighting, like children, like young boys. Well, let's, let's play, you know, uh, good guys and bad guys here and, and so forth. So we find this in Sakya Rasa, very much, very prominent. Uh, uh, Vira Rasa has a place, Yudavir, and they play, fight, and uh, so on and so forth. But in Baikuntha, anyway, he wanted to taste Dharma Vira. What to do? He, he, amongst all his devotees, who, who would he fight with? There are all his devotees, hmm? and Yudhavir would be an appropriate. would be inappropriate there, hmm? because 
they're in reverence in, uh, of, of Narayan. So it doesn't have its, its place. So he had his desire, and so many things happened to fulfill his desire. The Kumar sages came to the gates of Vaikuntha. They're depicted as young, naked children. They are rishis. Hmm? They heard, they 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 wanted to, they went through the different they came, they went they wanted to get into the first gate, the seventh gate, uh, like Shraddha, hmm, Sadhu Sangha. What is it called? Anartha Nibriti, Nishta, Ruchi, Asakti. Next is bhava. Through that gate, we enter into the spiritual world. From some, from from bhakti and sadhana to bhakti and ecstasy, and the cultivation of that ecstasy turns into, of course, into prem. Hmm? Ultimately, so anyway, they wanted to enter into by in, into the bhikkhunta, but the gatekeepers jai and vijai didn't let them in. Hmm? And so they said, "What's with this? These people think that." This is their place, and not everybody can get in. Our experience is nothing belongs to anybody here. Hmm? We're, we're jnanis, sages, we can go wherever we want. We're impartial. Partiality means you've got gates, and you don't let people in. You know, the real force, the import of who made the poem? The English fellow, or was it American? That... Good fences make good neighbors. You know, of course, it, it, it means fences don't make good neighbors. They get in the way. Putting up a fence is not the way to love somebody. Anyway, so they thought, these people are partial, therefore, they're material. Because spirituality is the impartiality, where I don't claim this is mine, this is yours. Um, that's just a, a product of, of, of the mind. And so they wanted to get in, but the gatekeepers didn't let them in. Of course, they didn't. They didn't have the ticket to get in either. That's another thing, and they didn't understand Vaikuntha. But immediately, Narayan came to the door and said, "Oh!" Um, and, and so the, I should say the sages cursed them. And Narayan came to the do- came to the gate and said, "What? I've, I've offended you." Um, what can I do to make up for that? And they were very smart, these Kumars, because they were big Gyanis, because they could understand. He said we offended him, or he offended us. He offended us. We were thinking they offended us, but he says he offended us, which means he considers them him, one with him. In this place, everyone is one in a dynamic sense with Narayan. Hmm? They're Narayans. So if, 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 if any one of Narayan's people does anything, he takes responsibility. So there's a different kind of unity they came in touch with. They were used to an undifferentiated sense of unity and oneness. And now they came to this perplexing idea of unity and, and the diversity. So they realized, we actually have made an offense here to people or superior to us. And, in, in, in understanding. Hmm? They smell the leaves of the Tulsi flower there on the feet of Narayan. 
they, they got all they got everything from that also that had a powerful effect on them so this is this is how the these are this is one type of gyani hmm? these are the gyanis that are highlighted in the bhagavatam there are four types of gyanis and two types are well they're all highlighted but two type types are highlighted as ex, as exemplars hmm? the kumaras for example the navyogendras for example sukadev for example four types of gyanis Haranyakasipu, back to him on the other end, I mean, he, he was a, a gyani too. He performed austerities um, uh, while he tried to stop the bhakti and so forth. He, he stood on one leg as a tyagi, and you get power from that. He did tyag for bogue, for enjoyment. I, that, there was a guy in Vrindavan, maybe some of you remember who have been there, uh, years ago, I've been there for a few years, but on the circumambulation path around, he, he used to stand under a tree on one leg. Hmm? And his idea was that people would come and build a temple and he'd live happily ever after there. And they did. All these foolish people, he's standing on one leg. He's standing on one leg. Wow, he must be really spiritual. So they give him his, their money and so forth, and he built this place. After a while, he had a few students who stood on one leg. They used a swing to lean on, and they smoked a lot of ganja. I visited a guy, I talked to them. <laughs> he tried to turn me on, but I said, I've been there, and I've done that. <laughs> so, um, uh, but anyway, oftentimes, this tiag leads in the direction of bog, and bog leads in the direction of tiag. Tiag means renunciation, and bog means enjoyment. These are two sides of the same coin of material life. You enjoy enough, and then you want to stop it. Ugh. And then you, you, you renounce it, and then, then, then the desire for it comes again, or the facility for it comes. So bhakti is, of course, different than boga and tyag. It, it harmonizes these two tendencies. It makes them meaningful. Hmm? They're also bog, action, karma, and knowledge. These two have a place within the context of bhakti, like the two like two tributaries in the in the Himalayas. If they enter the Ganges on the way down, they'll make it to the Bay of Bengal. Otherwise, they won't. The gyan and karma they won't unto themselves. Gyan is sattvic. How can it give us transcendental life unto itself? Not possible. Hmm? Clearly stated in the Gita, gyan is sattvic. So anyway, different kinds of gyanis. In a sense, this Hiranyakasipu was like a gyani. He, when his brother died, his brother's wife was very and family was very disturbed. And you should read how he counsels them. It's just great. You're not this body, he said, hmm? and uh, he explained it very nicely. Gave examples and so forth. And and you're thinking, well, this is really good, good gyan here, hmm? atma gyan. He's teaching, but he had no devotion for Vishnu. In fact, he was against Vishnu. This kind of jnani will not be successful. Hmm? There are jnanis who reach up to the penultimate point hmm? in their spiritual pursuit. We call it pursuit, they call it jivan mukta. Liberated in this body. Their parabdha karma, their manifest karma is still playing itself out and they're watching it play itself out. Hmm? But if they offend the form of Bhagwan, or bhakti, arya krishna parama padam tata patanti adho. It is said, abhishudu budhaya vimukta manena. They they thought they were liberated, they were close to that, but they offended bhakti, and 
in the and they and some bhakti would also be employed in attaining that stage. At that stage, some of them think gyan should be retired now. So it's sattvic. There's a process for retiring the gyan. Hmm? And they think, and the bhakti, which helped me. Hmm? And so they're, this, this, this is the, the, then they, they, don't, they don't go to the final. They come back. Krishna gives them karma. <laughs> This is the Bhagavad teaching. Krishna gives them karma and they remain in the world. Because they're offending, the, even Brahman is tut. Hmm? For a manifestation of, 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 of Krishna. Hmm? Um, and should be venerated. The jiva is not God. Hmm? So either offend bhakti or they, uh, they offend uh, Bhagwan. And then there's two that are successful who engage in, in bhakti in the context of their jnana with a view for sayuja. They can get that. It means merging with Brahman. Or, even the better type, the type that the Bhagavatam focuses on, the types like, I said, the Navayugandas, the Kumaras, Sukadev, who pursued jnana successfully, and when bhakti came into their life, they fully took advantage of it and developed prem. So they, they went the full... full Full course. So, Hiranyakashipu was some kind of a jnani. He, 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 his the lila kind of points this out indirectly. But back to Vaikuntha, it's a long story and it's complicated. He was then, of course, one of the gatekeepers. His brother was the other gatekeeper, Jayan Vijay, and Narayan said, "Oh, you cursed them, and then you know." Uh, we've offended you. We have to see that the curse has to be carried out. Meanwhile, Narayan really wants to taste Virarasa. So he's allowing the curse to remain intact. And, he, and then the, the Kumaras are thinking, whoa, we made an offense. But just see him. He overlooks it entirely. And he's keeping it in place. Hard to understand Narayan. They became devotees of Narayan at this point. And so, uh, so then they, Narayan gave them the choice. You know the, the Kumaras have cursed you, so you know we have to honor their curse. Hmm. Really, he didn't have to honor their curse, and people of Vaikuntha are in no way going to be affected by a curse from Agani. Hmm. They have spiritual bodies. This is an interesting point, of course, and there's been a discussion in the community of of Godias over the last two years as to whether or not once having attained Prem one can fall from there. Of course, the answer is no. <laughs> um, but there's some reason, uh, some things have been said that lead people to believe that that's possible. Hmm? But if we really want an answer to that, we should go to the Bhagavad where it's discussed. And this is where it's discussed, right in this Leela. This is where it comes out. This is where the issue is addressed. Hmm? In, the, in the seventh canto, where the, where the Leela unf- begins to unfold and Nard is, is, is explaining it to Yudhisthira, Yudhisthira says, I do not believe, I cannot believe that someone could fall from Vaikuntha on the strength of a, of a, of a Brahmin or a Jnani's curse. He says, that just does, make, does not make any sense to me. Because they, they have spiritual bodies, they're under the influence of the Sarup Shakti. How is that possible? That, what to speak of falling for any other reason? You'd think, well, maybe by the power of a, of a Jnani's curse. No, not even that, what to speak of any other reason? So, it, it's it, 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 Yudhisthira is, is, is incredulous. He says, this is, I can't 
<laughs> I can't accept that. I cannot accept that anybody could fall from Vaikuntha. Hmm? And so then the, the story is told by Nard, and it's obvious that the, with, there are extenuating circumstances, and there's more to it, and they don't really fall because there's, there's no maya there, there's no illusion there, there's no material desire there. They love Bhagawan, but Bhagawan wanted to taste Vira Rasa, and they were willing to participate in that, be instruments. And so Narayan created this whole thing with the Kumaras coming and so on and so forth to teach them something at the same time. And so many things are accomplished by his desire. And so he gave them the choice, the gatekeepers. You take seven births in the material world as devotees or three births as demons. He said, we'll take the demons. Three births and get back here sooner. Hmm? That's preferable to us. And of course, Narayan wanted to taste Virarasa, so they made the choice, the right choice, and they took birth as demons in three successive um, appearances of Krishna. And this is the first one, Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakasipu, then in Ramlila, and then in Krishna Leela. Hmm. And Yudhisthira is explaining Krishna Leela and the impartiality. See the tie-ins, it's very nice. The impartiality of God. This is all connected. Yudhisthira wants to know, is God impartial? Based on the fact that we see Vishnu seems to favor the, the, the demigods rather than the demons. Hmm? Favors sattva. Time favors sattva. That's just a fact. Hmm? Sattva is enduring hmm? comparatively. Hmm? Time favors. If you preserve things, you know, then they'll endure. So, so Nard begins to explain that God's not impartial. Hmm? And then he gives a different example. He starts to tell the story of how Shishupal hmm, and Dantavakra, who were demons in Krishna Leela, they were um, how they were dealt with by Krishna. They were given liberation. Hmm. Even though they opposed him, hmm, he gave them mukti. Uh, so he uses this as, a, as, an, as an example. Say, even, when he, even when he slays them, which he did, they got mukti. He's, he's not impartial. He reciprocates with people in terms of how they approach him. Hmm? And in that sense, he's impartial. Uh, so what is the tie-in? The tie-in, of course, is in the Vedanta Sutra, the question is asked, it looks like God's impartial because, or, because some people get good, good, good karma, some have bad karma. There's evil in the world. Is God good? Is he fair? This is a theological question, of course, that it's always around. And the sutras say, no, it's because of karma. And the reply comes, but what about the beginning? When karma first started, and the sutra says, there is no beginning. Next question, there is no beginning. And you're supposed to stop thinking there. Hmm. There is no beginning. Anadi. Hmm. There's no beginning to Vishnu. So... The worlds are like his breathing, as it's described. So there's no beginning to his breathing. Hmm. And there's no meaning to the material world without karma. You can't have the material world without karma. If karma began at a certain point, then all, all things, that's it. It doesn't make any sense anymore. There can't be a material world without... How can there be a material world and karma came at a certain time? Karma is which, that which binds the jiva uh, to the natural world. Subject, subject and object, uh, subjective and objective realities together. That's this binding force is karma. So, 
it's it's uh, it's interesting, I should say, that the idea, the, the topic of the impartiality of God, it is raised, and in the context of explaining it, the idea that you can't fall from Vaikuntha is also explained there. So you, there are answers to these questions in the Bhagavad. You have to go where the answers are. People want to pick out a verse over here or there. It sounds like maybe they fell, and maybe this, maybe somebody could. And you know, no, you have to understand the Bhagavatam, how it works, and so forth. And you know where to go to get the answer, and so forth. So anyway, they fell. But the background behind it was that Narayan wanted to go to the world hmm, and taste bira rasa. And so Hiranyakasipu and Hiranyaraksha, these were the first two, of course, appearances of the Jaya and Vijaya, the gatekeepers of Bhaikuntha. And Hiranyakasipu, the father of Prahlad. And he, like I say, he, he personifies the extent to which the human life is an impediment to our spiritual life. And Prahlad personifies the extent to which it's an opportunity for spiritual life. And, and it, in a big way, his father showed how Atmendriya Priti, love of the senses, can, can get in our way. How degrading it makes one. Because here's the father, right? And he be, he's so preoccupied with Bhoga um, and Aishwarya for enjoying and opulence and so forth, that he's, he's prepared, as he was in the Leela, to kill his own son. How, how unbecoming. Hmm? This is what it wants to tell us. This is where sense indulgence can... How, how embarrassing it can make you. You're a unit of giving capacity with a capacity to, to love. You're a unit of, 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 of ananda, small as it may be. Hmm? And the connection with Bhagwan. You can make that love connection that makes you be all that you could be, like the young boy falling in love. Hmm? If, if bhakti comes to you, hmm? if the opportunity comes to you, you're so preoccupied with sense gratification. Prahlad said it when he was teaching afterwards. He said, what? He says... Grihavratanam, a vow, like you make a commitment to have your own house, your own your own kingdom. You're just committed to that, to to acquisition. It means material acquisition. He says there's no place in that person's head for hearing these things. Hmm? I remember selling the trying to sell the Bhagavatam to one guy once, businessman. <laughs> I was talking. He said, "I've seen those books. They make no sense. It's all mumbo jumbo." You're just, you know, you just printed that thing, and now you're selling it. It doesn't make any sense. I don't, you know, that's what he thought. He really believes that. I quoted that verse to him. I said, "You've taken a vow for, <laughs> but your life, you, you you can't understand this. For you, it's mumbo jumbo. But for me, your your life is mumbo jumbo." Hmm? So, uh, this is the position of Ranjikasipu. He very much, as I say, personifies how degrading potentially is. Atmendriya Pritibhanja, the desire, love, love of the senses. Bhagavatam says it so beautifully in the first canto. Hmm? If I could only remember the, the, uh, the Sanskrit verse. What does it say? It says uh, that, oh, it's Jivasya Tattva Jignasu Nartoyas Jaya Karmabhi. Jivasya Tattva Jignasu. Human life should be lived 
because, for this reason, because it gives us the chance to inquire about jivasya tattva, the truth about the jiva, jivasya tattva jignasu, it should not be, it should never be lived because it's an opportunity for sense gratification. You had that opportunity in every other form of life. You've flown, you've swum, you've crawled, you've, you've done it all. Hmm? You've seen the world from every vantage point. Now you, now you have a human life. Here's the chance to see beyond animality, beyond the natural world. It should never be lived it should never be lived for sense indulgence, for that purpose. That makes for only a two-legged animal. But rather, because... Because it should be lived because it gives us the opportunity to inquire about the Atma and its its prospect hmm? and about God. That's why it should be lived for that purpose. Hmm? I met a guy once again. I tried to sell him a book. A few of these memories come back to me today for some reason. He said, okay, you know, you got an interesting rap about your religious tradition and so forth, but everybody, so many people got a rap about their religious tradition. What am I supposed to do? Go listen to them all? I said, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. And then whichever one resonates with you, take it and go with it. That is what you're supposed to do. So try this one. Learn this one. See what, 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 the many ways in which God makes himself available through different traditions. This is what human life is for. This purpose. So, yeah, he became so degraded hmm, by sense indulgence that he went against bhakti. Of course, this is all the drama, as I say. And, uh, and then he um, tried to kill his own son. He sent his son to school. And, uh, and meanwhile, Nard, as I said earlier, had spoken to his mother... Hmm, Actually, what happened was the uh, Hranyakasipu had terrorized the universe because he was standing on one leg for so long, performing these austerities. And um, so the gods, the goddesses are all compromised people. These are all compromised positions because they personify uh, elements of the natural world that, that we require or desire for our happy lives. Hmm? And so if we negotiate with them, by some sacrifice or whatnot or acknowledgement of them, then they reciprocate and and they're bound to reciprocate. It's like if you put a quarter in the machine, it's, it has to send something out. Bhakti's not like that. Hmm? You give yourself entirely. Krishna will give bhava when he wants. Hmm? And rarely. But when he sees, I'm prepared for that. Hmm? Then he gives quickly. Hmm? There's a nice story of Mukunda, associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And he was seen speaking, listening to some people speak some something opposed, some other teaching. And he said, tell, tell them, I don't want to see that in Mukunda's face. He told his associates. So Mukunda was banished from the association of Mahaprabhu. So the devotees were very much pained by this. And they went to see Mukunda and see how he was faring. And... Um, and so uh, they, uh, 
they then they went to uh, then they, they 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 asked him, you know, how are you faring? He says, I'm all right, you know. Uh, I, if you see Mahaprabhu, ask him when I will get his darshan again. So they went to Mahaprabhu and they said, uh, uh, we saw Mukunda. And he said, who cares about him? Well, what did he say? And he said, well, we, he asked us when again he will get your darshan. He said, tell him not for a thousand years, a thousand lifetimes, something like that, a thousand lifetimes. They were mortified to hear this. Then they had to go back and tell Mukunda. So they go back and Mukunda says, what did he say? He said, not for a thousand lives. And Mukunda began to dance. And Yadi They said, What what's with this? He said, I will get it. That's all I was concerned. So they went back and, and, and to Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu said, What did he say? He had such affection for Mukunda, really. And they said, Well, he began dancing. I will get, I will get, and chanting. And he said, Bring him here immediately. Hmm. So, some commitment to this. This is, after all, this is, you know, we didn't sign on here to get anything. We signed on here to serve. What will you get? More opportunity to serve. This is what bhakti is. And if you understand that point, it solves all the problems. Because material life is trying to avoid certain things and get other things. Avoid um, uncomfortable situations and find comfortable situations. Well, it doesn't matter for a servant. His object is to please the master. That's all he's living for. So if it's an uncomfortable situation that's required to please the master, then we take it. If it's a comfortable situation, then we take it. Hmm? I've given the example of Miguel, a fellow who works for us at, at, at Madhavan. And uh, he was, he's a hard worker, and he was digging trenches. And one day he came out and thought, you know, I'm going to give him something a little easier today. And so I said, I'm going to give him something a little easier, you know, because you've been digging these trenches for, to, to bury the electric wire or something. I forget what it was. He said, it doesn't matter. This is what I do. I'm a worker. Hmm? He said, my desire is only to please you. I work for you. If you're pleased, then God's pleased, he said. Grace of God, I've got work. I can take care of my family. That's all. It doesn't matter if I had, it's a hard day or an easy day. It doesn't matter. My objective is just to please you. It was a very nice example of what we teach hmm, with regard to Bhagwan, And it, it, it solves the problems. The whole lot, material life is... Trying to avoid suffering, trying to get enjoyment, hmm? and there will be some that comes on either side in bhakti. Hmm? So, anyway, to continue the story, then uh, Prahlad was uh, was sent to school, and and the father asked, "Send my son. Let me ask what he's learned. Was the best thing he learned in school?" And he made a famous statement. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Parasevanam, Archanam, Vandanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atmani, Vedanam. Itipum Sarpito, Vishnu, Bhaktis, Chennavalakshana. Kriti, Bhagavati, Adha, Tanmane, Ditamutamam. He said, The best thing I've learned is that human life should be used for hearing, chanting, remembering. He described the nine limbs of Bhakti. Hmm? And these things should be offered to Krishna and then engaged in, is basically what he said. And the father says, so what's this? This is what you're learning in school? So we wanted the heads of the teachers, and the teachers said, hey, we didn't teach them that. You know, we didn't teach them that at all. We had nothing to do with that. And so they give him another chance to try again, and he remained in this position. And what I said earlier, whenever the teachers would leave, 
he'd teach the other students about bhakti and so forth. So uh, it reached a point where the father said, that's it, I had enough. And then he, of course, he tried to kill his son and put him in many uh, situations which you would have thought would have uh, brought about his death, but he, he, he couldn't die. He was saved by Vishnu, and the story goes on in so many ways. Very graphically, the whole thing is is uh, played out there. And um, Prahlad was simply meditating on Vishnu. He's an example. He's the exemplar, the person who exemplifies how to become perfect in bhakti through smarnam, through dhyam, through meditation. All the limbs of bhakti, hearing, chanting, remembering, the archa and the worship of the deity, and so forth. There's a per, there are persons, paradigmatic figures that exemplify, they became perfect by that type of, that, that expression of bhakti. So he became perfect by smarnam. Hmm? And so he, he just went into meditation on Krishna and, and he couldn't be harmed, was the idea. So, it's, of course, it tells us that, you know, that this, that this is uh, to be uh, so absorbed is the, in, 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 in God is the real protection of this life. But at any rate, at a certain point, um, when he was unsuccessful in, in trying to kill his son, he challenged him and said, you know, you say you see God, you know, where's your God? I haven't seen him. And so he, he said, I see him everywhere. Hmm? There's nowhere I don't see him. Hmm? So then he said, okay, what, is he in this uh, stone pillar right here? It's holding up the... He said, yeah, he's there. So then he took out his weapon and he crashed the stone pillar and out came Nisringha. Now previously... Hiranyakasipu had gotten a benediction from Brahma because I said the gods are compromised. And so if you do certain things, perform certain austerities, they have to come and give certain benedictions. Um, it's kind of a, a business arrangement. Hmm? Christian doesn't work like that, of course. So Brahma had to come. Brahma gave him a benediction. And he wanted, to, he wanted that he wouldn't die. Brahma said, I can't give you a benediction that even I don't have. Oh, Brahma bhuvanaluka punaru artinu arjuna. Krishna says in Gita, even Brahma has to die. And the, the whole story of Brahma's life, you know, you get the calculus, calculator out, he's got this many, you know, it's all supposed to be telling us, you've got to die. Hmm? It doesn't matter if it's 800 billion, whatever it is, trillion years. Hmm? You've got to die. Hmm? Biologically. So use this human life in such a way that you will stop the dying process. And so, so anyway, he said, I can't give you a benediction that I don't have. He said, all right, we'll do it this way. You give me the benediction that I won't die on the land, on the air, or on the sea. Okay, you got it. I won't die at the hands of any man or any animal, beast. Okay, you got it. I won't die by any weapon, and so on and so forth. And he made all these calculations. Hmm? This is the material tendency. We want to secure ourselves by some mental calculation and control and so forth and fortify our situation. It's useless. It's a waste of time. Hmm? Um, we need to fortify ourselves only in the context of, 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 of arranging a life that's suitable for bhakti, for, for practicing bhakti. There's a space for that, place for that. Hmm? Otherwise... Hmm. Sugadeva, the first thing out of Sugadeva's mouth to the emperor, 
when he was speaking to him on his at the Ganges, where he was assembled with others, asking about what's the meaning of life, I'm going to die now. He said, Atmasanyeshu satsupi tesham pramadhanidhanam bhashanapina bhashati. He said, all these things, family, friends, this, that, uh, all these are all fallible soldiers. They cannot protect you. Hmm. I say, more than fallible, they're mutinous. Hmm. They get in your way of what would really protect you often. It can be... Hmm. Vraha, who, who killed his brother, Hranyaksha's brother, united with, had union with Bhumi, earth. The son was, what was his name? Narakasura? Vraha hmm? killed him because he wasn't a devotee. <laughs> he was against bhakti. So he, for that reason, he could kill his son. So he's making, these are making just strong statements to us. So, at any rate, Hranyakasipu, he... Um, made all these calculations, but when the Sringa appeared, of course, he wasn't a man, he wasn't an animal. He was half man and half animal. He didn't kill him on the land, on the air, in the sea. He took him on his lap. Hmm. That's the idea. And he didn't kill him with any weapon. He just used his nails and pulled him apart and took his entrails and garlanded himself with him. And the, the entrails of the demon represent... Uh, symbolically, all the anarthas. This Nisringadeva is garlanded by by anartha nivriti. He, he clears the path of all these unwanted things that get in our way, material desires and so forth. If you can take all those ugly material desires, hmm, give them to Nisringadeva, they'll turn into a beautiful garland, something like that, and beautify him. Hmm. By giving that up, your heart will become beautified and become a, a, a place that Bhagavan will find suitable to to, 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 to reside. Hmm? So it's a very ugly but very beautiful if you look at it, uh, Leela. And it, and the ferociousness of Hiranyakasipu, it's very very beautifully um, brought out in the poetry of the Bhagavatam. And and next to this ferociousness that all it, upon killing Hiranyakasipu, who had controlled all the gods and goddesses by his austerity and power, they were all compromised. Now when the Sringadev killed him they're all afraid to come forward and say anything. Um, and meanwhile, Perlod, just this youth, you know, f- five-year-old boy, he saw the Shringadev like a kitten purring, something like that. That was his vision. Hmm? And the Shringadev's, no one would come forward and from amongst the gods and goddesses. They, they offered some praise, but they were really afraid and intimidated. Hmm? And so, Shringade says, you, you, "Let the boy come here." Yeah. And he said, "I'm Bhagawan. Hmm? What do you know about it? You're just a boy. I'm Bhagawan. All these gods and goddesses—they know about me to some extent, but they're Sakama devotees. They're devotees with the, with the material desire still." Hmm? So, so now they're all—they're afraid to ask me. I'm—I appeared. I'm Bhagawan. When I appear, I give benedictions. I, I bless people. They're all afraid to even talk to me. Hmm? They're keeping at a distance and offering some prayers and, and and so forth. You come. What do you want? I'm Bhagawan. He said, I don't want anything. Come on, come on. What do you want? He said, I don't want anything. I give benedictions what I do. <laughs> I'm Bhagawan. You gotta you gotta everybody's got desires. I don't want anything. 
I don't want anything. He's showcasing him to all the gods and goddesses. He has no, you know, no. He says, you have to take something from me. He pushed him, challenged him like this. Imagine. Prahlad said, well, if I, if I want anything, I said, make my heart so that no material desires will ever appear in there again. Hmm? He said, well, look, you're here. You, wanna, you say you want to serve me. You must serve me because you want something, right? So what, you know, I can, I can give you that. He says, you know what he said? He said, no. Hmm? He said, hmm. manaso, what is it? Manaso, uh, manaso, money, stiram. Uh, he said, no. He said, what, what I want is a staibhav. That's what he said. I want that in my mind a staibhav for you in dasya bhakti will appear in my heart. He says, because uh, Without that, hmm, even free of material, of material desires, I don't want anything material. Hmm? If you push me, this is what I want. I want a stayibhav for you in, in Dasya Bhakti. Because without that, my prospect is limited to merging in the Brahman, and I have no interest in that whatsoever. That's what he told him. I have no interest in that. Hmm? I, want, I, want, I want to serve you in Bhakuntha. Hmm? So this this is beautiful teaching, and and of course in the Shingadev, they were very very pleased. Gave him the, and the blessing, and Prahlad stands out as a great luminary for all of us. Uh, and uh, and he, he gave very. I mean, I'm just going over the thing briefly, and it's taking a long time. But he gave many many beautiful prayers, glorifying the Shingadev, Very much Siddhanta devotional conclusions to be found there. And it's a very important um, lila. There's also an Upanishad and Shingatapani. Um, dedicated to his mantra and the significance of that and so forth. So uh, again, a prominent um, um, manifestation of Bhagavan Sri Krishna. And we're honored to be able to speak about it and to uh, participate in these uh, such discussions on this auspicious day. Any question? What's the time? I think it must be late. Oh, it's late. So we better stop there. Sri Bhagavan Shingadev Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. Gaur Premanandi.